following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. So let's jump right in. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm beginning in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant, and the word here is doulos, a servant and emissary of Jesus the Anointed One, to those who have received the same precious faith we share through the anointed, or we share through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus the Anointed One. So we're going to stop before we go further because we've got to talk about doulos. What is a doulos? So, to the majority of people reading this book, well, probably actually to all of them, they would have known right away what a doulos was. If historians are correct, about 60 to 70% of the population at that time, both uh, Jewish and Greek or Roman, were at some point in their life part of this category of thing called doulos. Now, a doulos was a servant. And if you go into Bible commentaries or you do some kind of research about this word, you'll see lots of possibilities. You'll see slave, servant, bond servant. There's a lot of discussion about what exactly to do with this word. But this is what I think is important for our purposes. A doulos was not a slave in the sense that we think of, like when we think of human trafficking today, or we think of slavery in the South in the history of America. This was a different kind of arrangement. This was often a way in which poor people paid off their debt. Or sometimes people who were poor and couldn't get a job, they would commit themselves into the service of someone who was wealthy so that they could have a job and they could put food on the table. Uh, and there was real slavery in the Bible. Don't get me wrong. There was very real slavery. But this doulos category is a category of servant or slave, but don't think of dehumanization or brutalization. They were sometimes valued household servants. Uh, in fact, it was not unusual for people to seek out the status of doulos just because they wanted to move up into society. There's record of wealthy people making themselves a doulos to more wealthy people or to even wealthier people because they knew that would create connections for them that would push them up the social ladder. So, I'm not saying it was an ideal situation as it was experienced for everybody in that situation. But when 60 to 70% of your population has experienced this at some point in your life, it's a very well-known thing. Uh, think of it as bondservant, I think, is probably the best way to view it. So when the audience heard that Simon Peter was a servant or a doulos of Jesus, they would have known a couple things right off the bat. Number one, a doulos is owned Okay, so they weren't free. By explaining it the way I did, I don't mean to soft sell the fact that their life was not their own. They were owned people. Someone else got to tell them what to do with their time, got to do with their energy. The way in which that played out, I have two images that come to mind. One is, think of the military today. You sign up for the military. Once you're in there, your life is not your own in very significant ways. It's not like you're a robot. But your general or your lieutenant or your commander gets to tell you what to do, when to go to bed, when to get up, what you're going to do when you get up. Uh, I've not been in military service, but those of you who have been, I think you have a general idea of what this doulos was doing. Or we can think of marriage. Uh, I say to bride and grooms when I do wedding ceremonies that do the two of you understand? If you get married, your life is not your own anymore. You don't get to just decide what you're going to do with your money. This is now a group decision. You don't get to decide what you're going to do with your time with just thought of yourself and not of the other one. You are now, in some ways, an owned person. 
I belong to my wife. I answer to God and I answer to her as the primary people in my life. My wife belongs to me. We belong to each other. We are doulos. When we entered into this covenant of marriage, we agreed our lives are not our own. And yet, if you would ask Sheila and I, do you feel like you're no ball and chain, that you're a slave? No, that's not what we're talking about at all. It's actually a great arrangement. I really like it. And yet, I am not my own. Right? So a doulos is owned. Second, a doulos is at the disposal of the master without qualification. If you were a doulos, no matter how good to you your master was, if the master said, go, you went. If the master said, I need you here at this time, you were there at that time. Once again, your life was not your own. And so the doulos had no rights of their own making. Their rights were established for them by their master. So I, I would argue that when the early church reads this, that Simon Peter is a doulos of Jesus, they get it. Peter doesn't have rights of his own making. In fact, the rights that are Peter's aren't the rights given to him by Rome. The rights Peter has are the rights given to him by Jesus because Jesus is his master, and Peter answers to Jesus, not to Caesar. So the same thing's true for us today. We are not our own. Our rights aren't something we just choose. Our rights as Christians aren't something given to us by our government. Our rights are something given to us by Jesus. He is our master if we're a follower of him. He gets to tell us what it looks like to be a servant, to be a doulos. And then finally, a doulos is constantly in the service of the master. We like to talk today about me time. And I am not opposed to me time. I think that's actually an important part of the rhythm of our lives in terms of finding time to recover, to refresh, to be filled back up so that as we engage with the world, we're ready to go. But in a very, in a practically spiritual sense, as a dual loss of Jesus, I don't get me time. I don't mean by that that God doesn't bring me into places of rest. That's an important thing that God brings to us. What I mean by that is that there are no timeouts as a doulos of Jesus. I don't get to put my doulos status on hold so I can go do what I want in Vegas. Because what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. It's part of who I am now. There are no timeouts if you are a servant of Jesus. When we turn on the TV, we are doulos of Jesus. When we surf online, we are doulos of Jesus. When we go to work, when we interact with our spouse, when we have hard conversations or play games with our kids, when we show up here on a Sunday morning, we are doulos of Jesus 24-7. There isn't space that we carve out that's our own that God does not have a part of. The psalmist said, where can I go to flee from God's presence? Well, we can't. And as a dual loss of Christ, I am always on. So, so that's dual loss. The audience reading this letter, Peter's a doulos of Christ. All right, so Peter's owned. He's owned without qualification. What he is doing, he is doing in the service of his master. Okay, now we move on in the letter. This is verse 2. 
I wish you a full measure of grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge. I'm going to stop here. We're going to talk about this word for a while this morning. It's a word epigenosis, which you're like, who cares? I'll tell you why in a second. We're going to grow in the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need to experience life, to live righteously, and to reflect God's true nature through the knowledge that moves us toward fully knowing the one who called us by his glory and virtue. Through these things, we have received God's great and valuable promises so we might escape the corruption of worldly desires and share in the divine nature by becoming like Christ and living forever and eternity. My translation probably is a little more wordy than yours. Uh, I'm including in it some uh, commentary that gives a context to some of these words that the first century audience would have automatically attached particular kind of meaning to them that we don't. So there's a few more words in there that I hope are helpful for understanding. But I want to talk about epigenosis. So at the time the Bible was being written and then in, in the centuries following, there was a group of people called Gnostics. So think Gnostic as opposed to epigenostic. I like to add the end sometimes for fun. So the the Gnostics were influencing the church significantly. Here's what they believed. They believed that they believed in a God, like a demiurge, like this power force of this being. And, and then after God, there was like this emanation of this thing they called Sophia, which was wisdom or the Logos. Is that word familiar? Logos? For some of you who have been in church for most of your life. Then what this Logos did was created the world, the material world. But... God was not happy. This material world is no good. This Logos made a mistake in creating the material world. So what the Gnostics wanted to do was they wanted to get out of this material world. They wanted nothing to do with the flesh, with the body. They wanted to get to where they could live in their minds and you kind of move through these different categories of things as you got out of the material and fleshly world because it was broken and corrupted or so they thought. They wanted to move to the spirit, so the mind was pure, the body was dirty, and the way they did this was through this accumulation of secret knowledge. So the, the Gnostics said, we have revelation nobody else has, it's special, it's secret, and it's hidden, and you guys, sorry, everybody else, you don't get to kind of ascend up on these spiritual planes, we're the ones with secret info. And at the time Second Peter was written, this movement was having some impact in the church. And it's interesting to me that Peter actually partially agrees with them. He says, We're, we are corrupted. He says, absolutely. But he disagrees with the solution. Because Scripture says that Jesus was the Logos and that he was God. There was no separation between the two, like the Gnostics were claiming. At the beginning was the Word, the Logos. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then he becomes flesh. By becoming flesh, he validates the physical world in the person of Jesus. It, it turns out the physical world isn't in need of obliteration. It's in need of redemption. And so, Peter says, we need the kind of knowledge that God is offering to us so that we can become more like Jesus, who is very much flesh and blood, but he offers a redemption to that which is corrupt and broken and fallen. So, the solution isn't to reject our bodies and retreat into our minds. The solution is to be doulos, 
That is, we surrender our body and our mind to Jesus who can transform this life of corruption into something beautiful and something good. So this is what Peter says is the knowledge or the epigenosis of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So this epigenosis as opposed to the Gnostics. It's knowledge that is full. It's perfect. It's public. It's knowable by everybody. It's not a secret. You see biblical writers over and over saying, I am passing on to you what I have been given. There's a history. There's a tradition. This is known information about God. And then this epigenosis carries with it this idea that we don't learn something and then retreat into our minds. What we learn changes our lives. It's going to be a trickle-down effect from the head to the hands. So it's known and it's lived. The, the body cooperates and moves with the spirit. Or you could say it's knowledge put into practice. And this is where we see this transformation into what Peter says. We're being moved into participation with the divine nature of God. I'm going to get to that a little bit later to talk about what that looks like. But epigenosis also requires pursuit. It's active. The one with true knowledge of God is the one who pursues God. It's not a passive thing that we do. I mean, Christ reaches out to us. But those who have this epigenosis, this full, complete, this experiential knowledge, they know something, they know it's true, it moves them to want more of it. They go further and deeper in their pursuit. And so they become, I think what the connection here in Peter is that they become doulos. They become servants of this master. Because if you become the doulos of a master, you hear their words. You see their actions. You spend time with them. You get to see or experience their attitude. And in this process of serving the master, we become more and more like that master. And while only a few people had the privilege of seeing Jesus in person, we experience this through his word, through his Holy Spirit. Uh, And dare I say, as God moves within his people, there's a sense in which we experience this in his community as well. I remember a number of years ago doing a sermon that was similar to this topic, and at that time I was taking Taekwondo. Uh, I'm registered as a lethal weapon. Uh, I took Taekwondo for a whole year. Right, I know, not everybody does that. And one of the things that would happen is that the guy leading, uh, the guy leading, there's an official term for that. It's been a while since I had the class. He would say, like, do this, wash on. And we'd be like, ooh, wash on. So your goal, and I heard this phrase used once, and I don't know who said it, was to match the master move for move. They show you what to do, you repeat it, and you do it over and over again until it becomes second nature which is why I'm a registered lethal weapon. <laughs> this, this is the idea of epigenosis, is that we study the master and we match the master move for move. We're dual loss. We're not doing our own moves. We're not seeking other masters to show us what to do. We are reading scripture. We're absorbing from the life of Jesus and the revelation God has given to us. And we're going, okay, it looks like this to be a servant. And we do what servants do. And we imitate the master. And one of the fascinating things about this, now I'm way ahead of my notes, is that eventually we begin to participate 
And what, what the master has offered to us, we participate in some sense in the divine nature. Okay, I need to put that aside and come back to it later. So I'm going to use a gym correlation here. And no analogy is perfect. So work with me. Salvation is like getting a new body, a membership to a gym with the best equipment and trainers and a staff that's ready and willing to help you. Awesome. I was, however unhealthy, and suddenly I've been given this new gift of all these things. But you still have to go. Still got to go to the gym. Scott posted a meme last week. Uh, it said, it's six months since I've joined the gym and no progress. I'm going there in person tomorrow to find out what's really going on. <laughs> so I think this is the idea that God gives us this beautiful gift in salvation, a new heart, a new mind. We begin this transformation. and God who is faithful to begin it in us continues it, right? But when we invest sweat equity... Right, if you get a gym membership, they're not coming to your house and moving your limbs for you while you sit on the sofa. Right? They're not giving you fat-burning pills. And we're just watching football and chugging Cheetos and binging on Netflix. We're like, yeah, I got a gym membership. You got to go. So the Bible uses language like, uh, in God we live and move and have our being. We walk the walk. We fight sin. We practice spiritual disciplines. We live in accountability. We guard our hearts and minds. Now, we only do this successfully because God in us is giving us the strength to do that we can't do on our own. But we just don't sit on the couch and binge, right? We go to our spiritual gym. We participate in what God has offered us. I think it's fair to say this. If there's no changed life, there's no reason to think we have the salvation referred to in the Word of God. Salvation makes a difference. I'm not talking about perfection. We will not be perfected on this side of heaven. That's part of the hope that I cling to. Uh, uh, the glory that awaits is finally being free of, these, of this burden of, of sin that we constantly struggle with. So, so I like the language of trajectory. There's always a movement toward Christ-likeness in the life of a Christian. Always a movement, not in every area of your life at the same speed. Think maybe of a soundboard. Some of the buttons are up higher than others, but they're, they're at least creeping forward. God is doing something in us. And the Bible is clear. We have to be careful not to judge those around us. We don't know where they started. We don't know how far God's already brought them. We look at our own lives. But if salvation is a real thing, there is trajectory in our lives. We are constantly becoming something that we were not before with the help of God to the glory of God. So this is knowledge of God and Christ Jesus our Lord who called us, says Peter. By the way, I'm, I'm kind of pulling language out of different sections of these four verses just um, for the sake of a flow to what I'm talking about this morning. So in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, he called us. All right, how amazing is this? That Jesus called you. Jesus called you. Jesus calls servants. Doulos, 
that he plans to transform into his image. And he called you. Do you ever wonder if you have value or if your life has worth? Do you struggle with self-esteem or any sense of self-worth? I'm just going to cling to this, that Jesus is calling you. Jesus wants you to be his doulos. The Bible uses other language. To be his children, friends. The Bible uses lots of different language. But to stay focused on doulos this morning, he's calling you to be his doulos. Not because he needs help, but because you do. Because when he calls you to do that, he will begin to change you into his image. And I know that can be a hard thing to, to consider when you look at your own life. You might be going, I don't know how God's going to use this. Like, this is a mess. I have built a grease fire in my life. Or other people have destroyed me. I'm, I'm, I'm damaged goods. How can God possibly use this? I, just remember this. When God called you to be his doulos, he had already factored in your stupidity, your shortcomings, and your sin, and he is still inviting you. So in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord who called us, in order that you might become partakers of the divine nature, so here we go. He's calling you to be a doulos, to be a servant, a slave, whatever image works best for you to grasp this. And in doing that, once again, it's not because he needs help, it's because it's in that process that God plans to transform us. So, as is typical of biblical writers, they're taking a known image that people in that culture understood, and they're changing it. They're, I like the word subverting it. They're subverting it to their purposes. If you pick up my notes, there's a couple other examples just from these four verses where Peter seems to be pulling from Greek culture and um, really changing language that was used for the Greek gods to apply it to what the real God is like. So, in, in this case, the doulos was not just going to serve for the sake of the master. They were going to participate in the very nature of the master. There's two other verses. Hebrews 12.10. He disciplines us. That's God. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. So there's something that happens here that, the, that God's nature, his, his deity permeates us and creates what the New Testament calls a new kind of humanity. I have two images for this that I hope are helpful. The first is an image of baptism. So I, I believe it's baptizo um, is the Greek. But this idea is, for those of you who like to cook or can, if you take a cucumber and you put it in brine, I think it's called brine, becomes a pickle. Did I get that right? Okay. Uh, I'm also a chef. Yes, I am a lethal cook. Just probably, yeah, I probably shouldn't embrace that. Uh, so you put this pickle in and this brine permeates it. Now the pickle is still the pickle. But it becomes something different by the time it's done. It's, it's a cucumber that's now saturated with something that wasn't there before. That's the image of baptism in the Bible. 
that there's something about when we give our lives to Christ that we are baptized into Christ and there's something that God offers us that permeates us. We're something new. There's a change that happens, a supernatural change. That is, that is not our work, folks. That is God permeating us. So we're still human. But God begins a change in us that gets us inside and out. Second image is this. When metal is put into a fire, uh, the metal never becomes the fire, but it picks up the properties of the fire. It becomes hot, right? That's also us in Christ. So we don't become God like the Gnostics were kind of hoping would happen. What we are given, and we could do a whole different series on this, we're, we're allowed to participate with what's called the communicable attributes of God. That is something he could give to us. And when he gives those things to us, we are not the same. We're something different. We're something new. So, so this is the opening to Second Peter. I, Peter, am a doulos of Christ, okay, says his audience. Uh, we know what a doulos is, and Peter says, oh, but you don't understand. This is a different kind of arrangement. I, I am the doulos to a master who is going to enable me to become like him in very important, life-changing, transformative ways. This is for my good and for the glory of God. So once again, we don't serve because God needs help. We serve because we do. And the path that God has laid out for us to move into that image is to be a doulos of Christ. I'm going to give J.I. Packer the final word. It's from his book called Knowing God. He says, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. John 17, 3 says, This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What's the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Don't let the mighty man glory in his might. Don't let the rich man glory in his riches. Let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. So what of all the states God has ever seen man in gives him the most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings, says God in Hosea 6.6. 6. Once you have become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. Once you have become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Uh, is the world full of problems? Do you face problems? What is the solution to these problems? The knowledge of God. And this knowledge, once again, is not simply storing facts up in our head. It is getting to know the God of Scripture, Christ that he has revealed, putting ourselves into his service, becoming the doulos, and the Holy Spirit works in us, and the power of a risen Christ permeates us, and his word guides us, and his people surround us. 
and then what do happens to life's problems? Well, it doesn't mean that they automatically go away. Right? Following God isn't a prom isn't a promise of just rainbows and skittles, right? What it does is connect us with God in the midst of these things that we're facing. And now, problems that were insurmountable are not insurmountable. They might still be very real. But God is with us, and we know it. And we experience the reality of his presence. Second Peter is going to continue to talk a lot after this introduction about something that was happening in the church at that time. False teachers were coming in and just spreading false knowledge of God. And considering what we talked about this morning, you can imagine the danger of that. If the true knowledge of God does all this wonderful transformative work into the image of Christ, a false knowledge of God is probably transforming people but not toward the image of Christ. So as we go through 2 Peter, and honestly, this will pretty much take us up till Thanksgiving. Uh, and that's with my current outlines. We know what happened with Hebrews. Uh, so we're gonna, we'll be talking a lot about this proper knowledge of God and the transformative power that it has in our lives. Lord, I am grateful that you are a God who has revealed himself to us. And that in this revelation, this knowledge that you have given us, it's not just a stale, a static kind of thing we store away, put on the shelf and nothing happens. That real knowledge of Christ is a knowledge that changes us. It offers new life for old. It offers beauty from ashes. It offers healing in the midst of brokenness. It offers beauty where there was the ugliness of sin. I love that you are calling to us to be a doulos, that you want us, and that you will take us when we surrender our lives and make something new. Uh, that, that is the greatest message ever told. That's the gospel. Lord, may we embrace it fully for your glory. Amen. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.